This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. All right, it is Tuesday, and today's episode is very special because it is all about a topic that I feel passionately about and that I love talking about because there needs to be more conversations in the universe about this topic, and that is maternal mental health. Whether that be, you know, during pregnancy, in early postpartum, or even later on in postpartum, mom's mental health is something that needs to be talked about more. And this is why I am so happy that I got to chat with Amy Koppelman. She is a writer and a producer. 20 years ago, she wrote a novel called A Mouthful of Air. And I can't believe that she wrote a novel based on the whole story is about postpartum depression, pretty much. And I'm shocked that she wrote it 20 years ago, because like she was saying in this episode 20 years ago, it wasn't even a known thing. Like people didn't even use those terms back then. But through her own experience, she knew that this was a thing that existed and that needed to be talked about. So she wrote this book 20 years ago, struggled with getting a movie made based on the book until now. So on October, I believe it was 29th, the movie A Mouthful of Air came out in select theaters. It is starring Amanda Seyfried. I never know how to say her last name, but you all know who she is. I got to watch it early on and it was very good. Some parts are difficult to watch because I think if you're a mom, you can just relate to how Amanda's character, Julie, is feeling in that moment. And you just want to give her a hug and tell her that everything is going to be okay. There were also little parts in the movie that I could so relate to, like it just triggered something in me. Like, we all know that she's struggling, but on the outside, she tries to put up this appearance like everything is great and she's fine. And so when her husband has to leave for work and he's just like, okay, I got to go. And he like gives them a kiss and leaves. That triggered me because I know that feeling. I hate when my husband just like abruptly says, okay, I got to go. I got to go and leaves in the morning or whenever it is especially if you're already having a difficult time. So it was a lovely film to watch. I watched it in my bedroom by myself. I'm so happy that I got a chance to watch it. I hope you guys will all go and watch it in whichever way you can. Right now, I believe it's still in theaters, but it should come out to be able to rent at some point. So look out for that if it's not in a theater near you. But until then, you can enjoy this conversation that I had with Amy Koppelman. So let's welcome Amy to the mom room. The first thing I wanted to ask you about when I was doing some research, because I watched the movie, loved it, and I was doing some research and realized that the novel that this movie is based on was written almost, was it 18 years ago? It was written 20 years ago, yes. Unbelievable. And so (laughs) I was really curious if you've noticed any difference in like the feedback or 
the conversation around what the novel was 20 years ago versus this movie coming out. You know, because I feel like this topic is more of a conversation now than it must have been 20 years ago. I mean, 20 years ago, I was a freak, you know? I mean, like, whoa, like, what, what are you talking about? No one was talking about it then. I hadn't even known there was a term called postpartum depression. I was writing the second to last scene in the novel. The novel's a much darker, more (laughs) brutal book. There's infanticide in it. And when Julie accidentally hurts her child, my fingers jumped off the keys because I thought, you know, is that even humanly possible to hurt your own child? Like, can, can a mother, you love your child so much, is it physically possible? Which seems like such a naive question looking back because you know, the Bible people hurt their children, but it was before Google and I went to Ask Jeeves. That's what it was then. You probably don't even know Ask Jeeves. And I typed in, can a mother hurt her child? And what came up was an article by a mom, the grandmother, I guess, of this woman who had killed herself. It was a rudimentary website with like a very rudimentary moving butterfly and it was the first time I saw the words because the mother was saying them to her child in this like open letter. And then I thought, I understand this is a different kind of depression. This can happen to people who've never had depression before. It can be a one-off. You don't have to have had multiple periods of, of depression to then get postpartum depression. And that was the first time I saw the word. And then I thought everybody knew about it. And in fact, it would never, because people speak so much more openly about it, and it would never have occurred to me to write a movie about it, except for I was driving down the West Side Highway in New York City one day, and I must have been listening to Doctors Radio, and a woman from the Midwest called in. I remember she's from the Midwest, and I remember something about an ironing board, and I remember that she was crying and crying and crying with her baby there, and she was describing how she was feeling. And the doctor on Doctors Radio said, you know, you need to go see your doctor. This is postpartum depression. No, I can't possibly. You need to tell your husband. No, I can't possibly. Can you speak to your priest? No, I can't possibly. And I remember thinking, oh, I thought everybody knew about this now. And then I realized, no, everybody doesn't know. So I thought, well, since people don't read as much, but they do watch movies, I'll try to make it into a movie because with streaming, maybe there's a way to get to that woman, you know, in her home somehow. And so that was how I ended up turning it into a movie. I had as much resistance to get it made into a movie as I had with the book. It was a profound amount of resistance, but it sounds so corny, but I just kept thinking of the lady and her ironing board. And I kept thinking, you know, if if I keep trying, there's going to be another woman and maybe I can reach that woman so that she feels less shame and knows she's not alone. And so that's what Amanda and I kept saying and reminding each other that, you know, there's going to always be people who don't understand. There's going to always be people who have a fierce resistance to the idea that even such a thing as depression exists. And talking about motherhood and mom's So much of who we base our identity on as women, if we become mothers, is our maternal instinct. And so when we doubt our own maternal instinct and are so scared of our own maternal instinct, we're socialized to believe that we're horrible people then. You know, we've lost some womanness somehow. I just want to say it's really refreshing 
to watch a movie like A Mouthful of Air because part of my whole thing after having my son, he's only three right now, and a lot of it was TV and movies create these narratives of what being a mom is going to be, whether it comes to like labor and delivery, postpartum, which is never, you know, portrayed in TV or movies. And especially like mental health. Like we all grow up watching TV and movies and seeing what motherhood looks like. Right. And we're socialized to believe that everybody is, is automatically competent. And, you know, I don't actually think of this movie as being a movie about postpartum depression. I mean, that's how it gets marketed. Of course, she has postpartum depression. But for me, every mother understands this movie because it's so scary to be a mom. You know, you have this little baby, the little baby looks at you, it trusts you. And your whole job is to keep that baby safe. And the world is not a safe place. And you'd have to be a sociopath to not be scared. They don't actually show that as much as they should. And I do think it's like, you know, the third rail, you you can't talk about not being capable. And what I remembered on a podcast that yesterday or the day before, which I had totally forgotten is that, and I mean, and I had a therapist at the time that the doctor who actually like had saved my life previously. And I was even scared to tell her. And then finally I told her how I was feeling after the birth of my son. But I remember I was terrified because I thought they would take Sam away from me. I had totally forgotten that, but the fear was so real. I remember sitting in my rocking chair thinking, okay, well, if I tell anyone, my sister-in-laws will come and take him away from me. I didn't think even get to like the government, but like I just figured my family would take him away from me and they weren't big believers in mental health. Like they just thought I was weird. So I couldn't say to them, like, you know, I'm petrified every single time I give him a bath, you know, I'm petrified. I mean, I think for like the first couple of weeks of his life, I remember I was thinking, I wish I could put toothpicks in my eyes to keep them open, because if I could keep them open, then I wouldn't accidentally close them because I was sure that if I closed them, then something bad would happen. And so then you just stay up and up and up and being tired just makes it so much worse. And all mothers get tired. And it's a larger conversation about motherhood. And I met somebody that I didn't know because I'm an old mom now, Dr. Harvey Karp, I guess is like a rock star pediatrician to a lot of moms. You don't know about him, but you know somebody could send you his album. I'm joking, but he has this book and it talks a lot about sleep. And he invented something called the snoo. And I met him the other day and he has this idea that there should be a fourth trimester because, you know, you have a baby and your care ends. And I was like, that's fascinating. And then that's why I realized he's Dr. Karp. Like Amanda met Dr. Karp and was like, Dr. Karp, I love you. I rented a snoo when my child was born. He slept two hours more a night because of it. You know, so people love Dr. Karp. And that is his idea that we don't actually care that much about the maternal well-being of moms. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. 
We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals, so you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding, and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. That's a huge thing for me is like the lack of respect for women in postpartum. And that's what I found. It was like, it's all about the baby the mom's needs are not even considered. People want to come in, hold the baby, they're in and out. And it's like, it's a major life transition for moms. For some reason in our society, there's just no respect there. I've heard from other moms in other cultures where it's like, you know, people don't come over to visit for six weeks at least. And they just give the mom time to, you know, rest with the baby. And here it's like, oh, you had a baby? Visitors in and out, in and out, in and out. And that was a huge thing that I realized very quick after having my son was other people must feel this way because I didn't want visitors for weeks. So it's interesting that you say that, like the fourth trimester needs to be treated as such. That's what he said. And he also said on this roundtable we did, he said, you know, for centuries, people raised children 
you know, within their community of their family, like their mother would be there or their sister would be there and they weren't alone. And, and that even still today in other cultures, people raise their child, you know, as a collective endeavor to help moms, but not in our culture. Now, Amanda is so lucky. She talks about this because she says her, you know, her mom lives with them and she's like, I don't know what, what I would do without my mom living with me. So yes, I, I think we need to, to get better at this somehow. And I, I think part of it is just women finding the courage to say that they're scared and not be scared that somebody in their own family is going to take their child away because my sister-in-laws love me. Like, it's not like, oh, I hate my sister-in-laws. Like they just would have been like, oh, we better, we better save the baby. You know, like, but um, I think that the way that starts though is because of you and other people like you who are talking about it and older moms like me, because, and you're already an older mom because you have a three-year-old. So, you know, you're walking through the supermarket aisle and you see a brand new mom and you see her drop something and you see that she's struggling. Like, just take a second to say, hi. (laughs) You know, if you see a young mom that you know in your neighborhood, you can say, how are you doing? And you'll be able to tell if you actually take the time to look how she's really doing. And I think if as women, we, you know, ask each other that, not just what, you know, what age they sat up or rolled over or, you know, who's walking when, I think that's the best thing we could do for each other. But in terms of what I think your original question was about changes, my daughter, who I think, you know, 20 years later in retrospect, I was writing through the fear of, you know, what if I hadn't gotten the help that I needed? My daughter sent me an Instagram post in a couple months ago, I guess like over the summer. And she said, you have to look at this woman. And her name was like the bird's papaya. She had 2 million followers. And Anna said, look, she's pregnant and she has perinatal depression and she's talking about it. And I think this will really mean something to you. And I watched it and I thought, yes, like people still don't understand. And there is this whole world of mommy culture where like I say to her, like, thank God I'm not a young mom now because like now they make like bento boxes with like 3D sandwiches that pop out and go, have a good day. You're the most special person in the world. And then it goes back down and they eat it. You know, I would decorate her bag and felt so proud. I would have totally failed at, you know, this level of lunch prep. But the good part of Instagram, the the part that we need to speak more about, like the miraculous part of it is that somehow that appeared on her feed. Why did that appear on Anna's feed? She saw it. She knows from me about it and knew it would be of interest to me. And then she sent it to me and we could talk about it. And so that's really your answer. Like, yes, we need to help each other more. We need support, you know, at all different levels. But my daughter can talk to me. She, when she has a baby, God willing, one day, if she's having a hard time, she is not going to be scared that I'm going to take that baby from her. Because the conversation has already happened, right? So she doesn't fear like the judgment or the shame. Yeah, because she'll know that I don't think that it's any indicator of what she's going to be like as a mother. These are totally, completely separate things. And so, you know, I mean, I, I look at it like, you know, if you bring your child to the park, you know, they, I think you can start putting them in the neighbor, like the park swing when they're like six months old or seven months old. I remember going and you were having an asthma attack. You'd whip out an inhaler, take a puff of your inhaler and never think twice about it and never think you were a bad mom. 
But when you go to the park, if you have postpartum depression and you go and there's that gauziness between you and the baby and like, you're sure the baby's going to fall out of the swing. You're sure the chain is going to break and the swing is going to actually fall down. Like the strong metal swing that's been like soldered. You know, this is the moment that it's going to fall or the man who's 200 feet away is at the park only to snatch your child. You don't look at those as symptoms of an illness that like your brain is having a hard time breathing. And the idea of telling anybody because nobody really talks about it. And then the fear of telling people the symptoms of of depression and anxiety reinforce it. it. It's a bad cycle. The movie was very hard to get made. It took a long time. There's a lot of resistance to the movie. There's a lot of, there was a lot of resistance to the book. I'm sure I'll get good reviews and, you know, vicious reviews. But I know that when the people who Amanda and I made it first see it, I know they're moved by it. And I, I know that they, they tell me this, you know, feel seen. They said, I, I feel like you made me feel seen. So I'm just like trying to pay attention to that. Like just keep marching along because I've spent the past 20 years only writing about maternal mental health. You know, it's always a bestseller topic, but I think it was worth it because it still needs to be talked about. Yeah, I think it's getting better, but it's nowhere near what it should be. Can we talk a little bit about medication? Because, you know, a major part of the movie was medication, like a topic in the movie was medication during pregnancy and then in postpartum for depression or anxiety, whatever it might be. It was hard to watch. You know, I took anxiety medication throughout my pregnancy and I had postpartum anxiety and I always thought to myself, I had anxiety in postpartum to where I would just uncontrollably cry, you know, out of nowhere. Like the world was ending, but I was the only one that knew the world was ending. That's what it felt like. I used to think to myself, wow, like I wonder what my experience with anxiety in postpartum would have been if I was not on medication. Like, would it have been debilitating? Well, you know, so many things could have happened. I mean, it would it would have probably been debilitated. You could have slipped into like a psychosis. I mean, it's the degree of how bad it would be. Thank goodness you don't know. There is, I think, still such a stigma about taking medication for mental health in pregnancy and in postpartum. And I know on social media, I get tons of questions from moms like, oh, you took it throughout your pregnancy? And it's like, yeah, like consult with your doctor. But my doctor and I came to the conclusion that it was more beneficial for me to stay on it than to go off of it. My whole mission for those 20 years was to say this is an illness. And I heard this analogy two nights ago, and it, I, I'm very excited that I can finally tell it because somebody said it to me. You know, a million women a year, they think in America, give birth and have postpartum depression. And they say, you know, if you were walking down the street and there were a million people in America with a nosebleed, that's like some nosebleed. And you know, there'd be funding put into figuring out why are there a million people every year whose nose is bleeding? But because there's no outward signs of this, we even get confused, right? We're just not strong enough. We're spoiled. We're not trying hard enough. Like I said, like the symptoms reinforce the, the narrative. And so my whole goal has been to try to explain that this is an illness no different than asthma or diabetes. I know that until there's an easy way to measure it, you know, to do a quick brain scan or to measure it in your blood or to, you know, like how you can breathe and, and you have proof, you know, that 
you're not, you know, you're at 70% or whatever, and you need an inhaler. Until then, we'll always doubt ourselves. Like I was driving to the first screening because we did the editing during COVID. This is two weeks ago, and I was with my husband, and we're going to screening of this movie, right? That's based on this book that I wrote 20 years ago. That's based on the fear of what if I hadn't gotten the help I needed because when I was pregnant with my daughter, I wasn't on antidepressant medications because they were new. There were no 20-year studies like there are now. And I was scared because we did not know the way that we know now. And, and then I had her and then I didn't want to take the medication because I was so scared that, because she came out and she, I laid, laid, laid her, lied her against my chest and she just naturally was such a sweet little breastfeeder. And I was like, I can be strong. I've done this my whole life, except for the year and a half that I took antidepressants. Like, I understand what this is. I can make it through another six weeks and she'll have everything that she needs. And around five days home from the hospital, and I didn't say anything to anyone, not because I was lying, but like nobody would have ever thought. I mean, I was praying to the bottle of Zoloft every day, like 38 more days, 37 more days. And I realized, like, I saw this train about to crash into a wall. And I, as I was looking at Anna and I was like, wait, I realized that I was about to crash into a wall and I called him and I said, I'm not taking the medicine. He's like, oh, what do you mean? And I was like, I just really want to breastfeed her. And he's like, well, take the medicine now. And I said, well, no, you, I have to wait till you come home because I need you to check under my tongue to make sure I swallowed because I knew I didn't trust myself at that point. And that was only five days or four days into not taking the medicine for your answer about the medication. So I took the medication. So now we're in the car, we're we're driving to this event. And I turn to him and I say, I swear I said this and I meant it when I said it. I said, did I have postpartum depression? And I mean, how is that possible? Am I like, you know, am I just a fraud? Am I making this all up? And I'm like a phony and a post, like, because it just, your mind is so strong and plays so many tricks on you. And he looked at me like, what? You know, I mean, we're on the way to see, you know, and you saw that movie. That movie is not made by somebody who doesn't understand, right? It's not acted by somebody who doesn't understand fear and sadness. And so your question was about medication and I'm not a doctor and, you know, maybe everybody doesn't need medication, but what I can say in my own experience and everybody that I love and everybody who I've seen along the way and have taken a deep breath and said, Hey, I don't think you're right. Like, I think we need to go, you know, take you to a doctor is that it is an illness. You have to give yourself permission to treat this illness. And the stigma of antidepressant medication, well, you don't have to tell anybody, you know, if you're, if you're too ashamed, but the preconceived notions of what it's going to do to you are still the same as they were 20 years ago, that you're going to take it and it's going to make you so fat, right? You're going to take it and you're never going to be able to write because you're going to be so numb. You're going to take it and you're not going to experience any emotions and you're going to take it and you're not going to want to have sex. Like these are the, the same things. And none of those things are true because for me, I know that when I first started taking medication, when my son was around a year and a half old, I was finally able to cry. I was always able, I was always holding back crying because I would get that feeling that you got. And I was petrified that if I started crying, I wouldn't be able to stop. And I would die from crying so hard. Like this was And I remember driving down the street with him in the backseat and I heard a Carole King song on the radio. And I remember I was able to cry 
from feeling the song. And I was able then to pull into the driveway and take him out of the car seat and be his mom. And I was able to go to the park with him and, and then with my daughter and be in the park, not have that gauze in front of my eyes. Now, I mean, both of my children would tell you I failed park. Like I'm, they can't do monkey bars. I never let, let them in the sandbox because in New York City, I was like, there's going to be a needle in the sandbox. But that couldn't be cured by medication, just my general neurotic behavior. You know, I don't know anybody who's writing a lot or being creative when they're depressed, right? I don't know anybody who's like, hey, honey, let's get it on or whatever. Like, yeah, I'm trying to think of a way to say, let's go, whatever. Or who does it and enjoys it because you're so not, you know, there's there's no, none of those things are true. And even the weight gain thing, which stops so many women also, I don't know anybody who's gained a lot of weight from antidepressant medication there. I mean, the way that the medications are now, like that's just not a big issue where 20 years ago, the medications, you could have the side effect of that. But I mean, isn't it better to be like 10 pounds heavier and alive? Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. I always say like medication, my quality of life 
Woo, like through the roof. I don't even take like a large dose. Like I just take this little white pill every day and my quality of life is so much better. Yeah, because what you realize when you take the medication is you un- you know there's a trampoline underneath you. So you know that when you're in free fall, there is something that's going to catch you. And the medication, when it works, it doesn't, it's not like Xanax or anything like that. I I, I don't take those drugs. I took a Xanax once and I was like, this is the worst thing. And I, they're so addictive and they, they take you out of feeling. This is not like Xanax. It's not like pot. It's not like drinking. All it is, is it makes you feel yourself again. And when you take it, you go, oh my God, I've gotten so far from this person. And so Amanda and I just hope that in our own small way, you know, people will go see this movie like, you know, it's a miraculous thing that Sony's putting it in 818 theaters. It's 818 communities, and they're not putting it in fancy art theaters. They're putting it in theaters where women go to take their children to see, you know, whatever the animates. Because the idea is get this to people who don't know, you know, get this to somebody in Pennsylvania who can't talk about this. And it's a hard movie. It's, it's not an easy movie. You know, there's this character who loves life, loves her children, sees all the beauty in the world, you know, all the color, everything, and yet really believes that the world is better off without her. And then the best thing she could do for her family is take her life. And like, I wanted to understand that. And I wanted to people to understand that that is not a singular feeling. Like a lot of us feel like we're going to fail and hurt our children in some way, you know, because we're not good enough moms. Maybe we could all like just forgive ourselves a tiny bit because now I have a 25, almost 26 year old and a 21 year old, and they're great and they really love me. <laughs> and my husband loves me. And, you know, I never wanted to take my own life at all when I spent decades before that with those kind of thoughts. But I was, you know, so petrified. And instead I got to be a present mom. Like I was there in it always. Like people use that word now all the time. People didn't really use that word much then, you know, 20 years ago. But I remember going like, I'm here, but I'm not here. Like I didn't know how to articulate what it was. And then whenever that expression started to be in the present, I was, since I started taking medication, I was always where I was. We want that for moms because it's, it's the most wonderful thing to get to be a mom. Yes, it's so scary. And yes, the responsibility is so big, but the joy is so much. And Julie knows this, right? She knows the joy, but she lets the illness take over. And if she was had a bloody nose, she would fix it, right? That's the best analogy. I was like, God, I never thought of that analogy in 20 years. It's so good. And I think it's hard for women. They're a new mom and, you know, society is like, this is the best time of your life. Like you, you know, this is rainbows and butterflies and it's supposed to be this amazing experience and you're supposed to be so happy. And so when you're not, I think people think like, what is wrong with me? I'm the only one who feels this way and it's so not the case. Right. And yeah, that's what I was saying. It's like the third rail of our identity as women. Like, you know, it starts with if you choose not to have kids, what's wrong with you? Like a lot of women don't want to have kids. And that doesn't mean that they're not loving and not nurturing people. Or you have kids and you're scared and you feel 
you know, this is very overwhelming. And it's like, well, wait, you're not maternal. Like you, what is wrong with you? And it's the same kind of thing, unless you're like, everything's perfect. Now, when I see friends, like friends that are your age have babies, I look at the baby and I think, God, this is like actually so much easier than having a teenager. I remember there was this weird expression when I was young where they'd go like, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. I mean, my kids were actually so easy on me, but you know, there are mean girls to my daughter. You know, you have you have more things that you're trying to find answers for that are harder than when I look at a little baby now. But I'm 51 now, so I can come in. I don't have hormones racing. I can look at the little baby and say, oh, I'll help you with the little baby. But still, I see an infant and I'm like the neck. You know, I mean, it's... Soft spot on the head. But I'm like- okay. I take medication because I had all these issues, but also I don't have the hormones. The hormones in and of itself, that's why, and and they don't tell you across the board that you need to check your thyroid after childbirth. The first thing you need to do if you're feeling overwhelmed is have your thyroid checked because so often it's that you have a low thyroid. You have something called Hashimoto's post-thyroiditis. I actually had that. And the weakness, the actual lack of physical strength or, you know, the anxiety, it it can really, it can mirror depression a lot or, you know, anxiety a lot. So to end, I thought you could tell us like where people can find out more information about the movie. And also when it's out of theaters, do we rent it on iTunes? Like how can people watch? Well, right now I only know that they're giving it what's called a traditional release. And so they're putting it in 800 and 18 theaters. And I told my mother that she could go on Fandango because I'm trying to figure it out also. It might be far away from a lot of people, but it is in a lot of places. I don't know what that means in terms of video on demand or streaming. I, I know that it's Sony does not do the simultaneous streaming movie releasing. And you know, I understand it's counterintuitive in certain ways because mothers are home. And so it'd be great if they could see it in their home. But I've been having a lot of people say, you know, I said to my partner, you're watching the kid and I'm going to go to the movies with my friends. And so then when they Instagram me that I say, oh, you know, let me know. (laughs) Let me know what you think. And there's an Instagram account I saw for the movie as well. I mean, I'm very technologically challenged and I'm supposed to run that account, but it doesn't have much information. I'm sure like on the Sony account, it probably does, but basically it's on Fandango and it'll be in the theater for a couple of weeks and it's, it'll be in the theater tomorrow. October 29th. I'm scared. Oh, it's going to be great. About the hate, the haters that hate. What I've learned very quickly is that in parenting and motherhood, no matter what you put out there, there will be, you know, backlash. That's okay. You just have to just keep thinking of the woman with the ironing board. Totally, for sure. You know, anytime your voice reaches them through your podcast, you're helping somebody feel less alone. And that's the miracle of technology, you know? We can all talk to one another. Like I can meet the bird's papaya woman from, from my daughter. I mean, I never met her. I, but one time she wrote me back on Instagram and I was like, I just want you to know my daughter. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. She lives near me, actually. She was just, we did a podcast swap a couple weeks ago. 
Oh yeah. So I, yeah, we follow her together and we talk, we watch those um, morning things where she posts her little baby, but just like, Oh my God, that bow is so cute. But so for the movie look on Fandango in general, though, with limited time, I just want to say the most important thing, the best way that you can be a good mom is to be a mom is to be there for your children and everything else doesn't matter. If they watch, have a little bit more screen time than you want them to, or that they say you should, if you know you give them regular Oreos instead of organic Oreo-like cookies, none of those things matter. All that matters is you're there and you love them as much as you possibly can to the best of your abilities. And you know you stick around. I love that. Well, I'm going to put all your links in the episode notes so that people can find it. Thank you so much for talking with me today. And I hope everyone goes to see the movie. Wow.